1: Intimacy with one's partner to be known by another is a basic human need, but statistics show that more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. How can we develop a stronger relationship, one based on mutual respect and open-hearted listening? And when the inevitable differences and conflicts show up, how can they be repaired turning difficulties into opportunities that foster love, trust, and thriving intimacy. How may we approach differences with open-hearted listening and vulnerable truth-telling? We'll be exploring the answers to these questions and more with our guest, Dr. Susan Campbell. Susan Campbell trains and coaches therapists and individuals throughout the U.S. and Europe. She works with singles, couples, and work teams to help them communicate responsibly and with respect. She's the author of Getting Real, 10 Truth Skills You Need to Live an Authentic Life, and Saying What's Real, Seven Keys to Authentic Communication and Relationship Success. And she's a co-author with Dr. John Gray of 5-Minute Relationship Repair, quickly heal upsets, deepen intimacy, and use differences to strengthen love. Join us for the next hour as we explore the core issues in creating a fulfilling relationship with our guest, Dr. Susan Campbell. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Susan, welcome. Thank you, Justine. (laughs) It's so good to sit across from you and talk about this Subject that really concerns all, most all of us. Uh, relationship can be an emotional roller coaster, as we know. So, I'd love for you to begin to talk about how the nervous system is connected to our emotions.
2: Well, we all have different parts of our brain. We have the reptilian brain, which houses the amygdala. And that's where there's a survival alarm system that has been with us since primitive times. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And then, of course, we have the higher brain that helps us think through problems and collaborate and that sort of thing. But in this survival alarm system, it's always scanning for danger. It's kind of wired to detect anything that looks like a threat, like in the Primitive times, it was a threat to our physical survival, like a tiger coming at us. But now it can be a threat to the connection to the one we depend on. Anybody who's close to us and we fear that distance is going to mean loss or like rejection, abandonment, these kinds of things, that actually triggers a survival threat alarm reaction in the nervous system and, you know, the fight, flight, or freeze chemicals start running into our nervous system. And to the extent that we haven't developed really secure wiring between our hind brain and our higher brain, and most of us have it, some sort of insecure functioning, some sort of wiring that isn't as perfect as it might have been, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, based just based on childhood experiences, neglect, things like that. So... Almost all of us are very vulnerable to kind of losing it, losing contact with our higher brain, the part that reassures us that, hey, that's not a tiger, that's your loved one. (laughs) So we lose contact with that self-reassuring function momentarily because these chemicals, these fight-flight-freeze chemicals are so powerful,
1: they feel like that's the reality. There's this threat in the room. It's like we have an inner pharmacy that that <laughs> right. that that That's releases right. these like adrenaline is yeah, one I right. guess, uh, and it and it just causes ha- it floods our body. Yes, and so then we
2: go into some kind of a fear reaction, and our mind then will start making up reasons why we're having that reaction. Like my partner doesn't love me. Uh, he, he 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 never listens to me. What, whatever stories that are things that k- kind of scare us even more, and then
1: we start triggering ourselves even more by our fear stories. So these are really fierce stories that we hold in our our being that we keep mm-hmm. telling ourselves over and over. Uh, going back to these childhood coping mechanisms that you're talking about.
2: Yeah, they're based on uh, limiting beliefs, unfortunate learning, false beliefs like I'm only lovable if I'm achieving or performing. That would be something that some people get. Or if I'm in pain, uh, I'm wrong. There's something wrong with crying or showing
1: uh, strong emotions. So when we're in relationship, for those of us who have had relationship and long-term relationships we get into these communication cycles and and you talk about them as being like circular mm-hmm. you know that we they just kind of repeat over and over so can you say something about that
2: yes almost every couple when they get together There's some harmony in the beginning, but pretty soon some difference comes up, like she likes to talk a lot and he likes to be silent. Let's say that's one. So then pretty soon they'll get into a cycle where the more she talks, the more he kind of gets more silent. And then the more silent he gets, the more she talks, because she's trying to get contact that (laughs) way. But he's trying to get something else. He's trying to get, you know, it's like we're both trying to get the relationship on terms that are comfortable to our own nervous systems and our own insecurities. So it's, it's like either one of them could break that cycle. If, if he just said, honey, I've got something to say to you. I need some quiet time now. Even if he just said that, then that would reverse the cycle because he'd be communicating instead of being quiet, and then she'd be, oh, okay. Or if she would be more silent, if she would just be with him in silence perhaps for a time, then he would start talking. It's like if you want that cycle to break, you need to
1: change something about your own behavior. Because this goes to our core needs and our our, our core fears. Mm-hmm. And you talk about those as being two sides of a coin. And And yeah. why is it that we need to really know our core fears, and how how do we discover them? Good. Well,
2: when I mentioned the amygdala and that survival alarm reaction, that's like a button just got pushed in your nervous system and this familiar tape gets playing that's pretty much false information about your partner based on old fears. So we need to be able to know what the core fears are and know what the early warning signs of the core fears are, in order to later on, once we recognize that a triggering episode is in motion, pause and calm ourselves and reassure ourselves that that fear is not is not really true. For example, he's not that into me, or I can never do it right with her. That those those are the kind of a stories that are based on deeper fears. If my if my mind story is he's not that into me. My core fear is, I'm afraid I'm not important to you. And if my mind story is something like, I can never get it right with her, his core fear might be, and I'm using his and her here just yeah. for mm-hmm. convenience, his core fear might be that I'm not good enough. Right. People might not easily access fears at this level, you know, the fear that I'm not good enough. But through working with the, the tools that we offer in the book, you can get more vulnerable with yourself and your partner and realize, wow, all that stuff that I used to say that sounded like a fear, like the no fear that I can't get it right with her, there's really a deeper core fear that connects to some early wounding
1: that we can heal now once we're aware of that core fear. So how do we get in touch? You you talk about some tools to get in touch with that fear because that's a biggie. I mean, that's a biggie to really know... What, what is really going on here i'm i can feel i mm-hmm. i'm angry mm-hmm. and you know i he's done it again he said it again and oh why doesn't he change and so forth so what how can i
2: stop that here's one of the tools that we offer in the book and it's called the compassionate self-inquiry process so you start out being angry and you start out with blaming type of self-talk and Then, like, it's like he never listens. And then we invite people and we take them through a process. And there's some preparation to be able to go through this process of just knowing the difference between a reactive feeling like anger and a core feeling like just experiencing pain or fear that something's wrong.
1: Like abandonment, mm-hmm. like a, some deep ab- sense yeah. of uh, being abandoned, would be a would a be a core, core fear, fear rather. Yeah. But anger isn't necessarily a core fear, right? That's a reaction. Anger's the reactive behavior. So we we, we
2: teach this language to know mm-hmm. the difference between r- reactive feelings and the things that are that reside deep in the subconscious mind, based on early wounding. So uh, you were asking why is it why is it good and how do we get in touch with these uh, core fears so you start with the feeling of anger but you stay with the feeling and you notice the stories going on in the mind and as i feel that there's more feelings just stay with the feeling and don't you know don't try to talk right now this is this is during the pause period we ask couples when they're triggered to have a pause agreement so they can Get quiet. Go inside and do this inner work before they come back and repair. So this is done during that period. So I'm staying with the feeling, and we invite people to imagine that this hurt part, because you know, you're pretty soon you're going to be aware of pain, some version of pain. I mean, the anger is like, you know, he shouldn't have done that. And then when else have you felt that? that he shouldn't have done that or things were going so good and he just took something away from me any little story like that will bring back memories a lot of times it'll bring back like flashbacks of gee we were having such a happy time at the dinner table and then dad blew up and started attacking mom let's say and we all felt terrible and we all felt gee it's not our world a minute ago the world was nice and light and free and now it's not safe and we all kinda of run for cover in our in our minds, you know. And this is this is a flashback that's coming back to somebody during this self inquiry process, giving you that example. So they're feeling what's that fear? Oh boy, that's a real fear. Fear that If I love something too much, it's going to be
1: taken away or something like
2: that, which is kind of like a fear of abandonment.
1: So we'll we'll go more into that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, and she, along with Dr. John Gray, are the co-authors of the book Five-Minute Relationship Repair, Quickly Heal Upsets, deepen intimacy, and use differences to strengthen love. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, susancampbell.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Susan Campbell. She's the co-author with Dr. John Gray, A Five-Minute Relationship Repair. And Susan, we're talking about that pause when when we feel the upset and rather than just going into that cycle of you said and why don't you or whatever it is that we do, you're saying to, to pause and go deep, deep, feel it feel it. Now, you, you, this isn't like figure it out. Exactly. You're you're doing something else. You're can you say something about that?
2: Yes, so as as you stay with the feeling, it's really a lot like meditation. If anyone meditates, you know that thoughts come up that you haven't dared to think for a while and then feelings and you know things just surface. And so this is a moment of compassionate witnessing of your feelings. So we suggest in the book that you treat that that early memory of the little kid at the dinner table feeling afraid. You kind of bring that person to you in your mind's eye, in your awareness, as if you're a bigger awareness holding a much-loved child. And what would you do if your child came crying to you with pain? You you would comfort it. You would just be there with it. You wouldn't try to say stop crying. I mean, some parents would, but what we recommend is allowing and allowing the little child in you to complete that feeling cycle that probably got cut off when you were at the dinner table. You didn't feel safe to feel your feelings. You just did something automatic like shut down or, you know, go play, <laughs> play with your laptop or yeah, disappear, whatever. Disappear. Right. Yeah. Right. And even people who blow up—that's just another way of really disappearing from mm-hmm. the from staying with their vulnerable feelings. So we we really believe that you can complete your past, the past wounds that you have not fully felt, by doing these processes. So that's one of the one of the benefits. And, and then you can like of knowing what your core fears are, or knowing how to access them. I'll get to why it's good to know what they are in a minute, because that's kind of the question you asked earlier. But I want to complete this. When you're with that core fear and you've held your little child in your mind's eye for a while, then you feel more, like, connected to yourself. It's like a new part of you has been reowned. It's like has come home. And we need to do that with our Disowned parts are, I'm afraid I'm not good enough, or I'm afraid of abandonment. We need to, to do that kind of thing over and over, that compassionate self in for you. We don't just do it once. We do it every, every time we get triggered. And pretty soon we'll know the territory. We'll know, okay, I recognize. And in, you know, my case, it's the, it's the little kid reaching out for mommy's attention and crying and nobody comes like being neglected or ignored. So that's my button. So when I feel triggered by my partner's perceived neglect, (laughs) I'll feel the feeling and stay with it long enough to get back to just that memory. I I just bring up that one memory
1: because it helps me have compassion for myself. Mm -hmm. What I think about when you say that, I think Mm -hmm. about it's kind of lighting up that part in us, like shining a light on On it, like that little kid, that didn't get the attention it needed. Does does that put us in a pretty vulnerable place then? Well, yes, because
2: it creates a feeling that there's that need again. I really have that that need still there. It's that hunger to be picked up and held. To be reassured is still there. And there's something like that in the subconscious for almost all of us. Yes. And it's, it's crying out. These trigger reactions, which we think, oh, haven't I outgrown that yet? No, no, no. These are doorways to healing, to discovering this process that I just described, to staying with the feeling long enough to realize that deep down there's a fear that if you can shine that light on it, and it's sort of like the light of loving awareness— then that fear becomes less scary to feel. The What I call the normal emotional pains of adult relationships, those become less scary to feel. So you get past the blaming your partner for making you feel that and learn, wow, this has always been in me, this trigger reaction. And this is an opportunity to access and shine light on a dark part of me that I've kept in the shadows, I've kept hidden, I've been ashamed of it, didn't think anyone would love me if I showed how needy I am, for example, or how insecure I am about being good enough. Those are sort of the two big ones. And we find first that we can kind of love ourselves, even though that's a that's a stretch for some people, but it, following the guidance in the book, we we take the blame out of triggering just by mm-hmm. knowing the nerve knowing that it's a nervous system function that it happens to everybody to some extent that helps us get over our shame right. we're
1: not alone we're not this. alone yeah. everyone
2: has these triggers yeah so um so that's one of the main advantages of of knowing about your triggers is that you can heal the past and and reassure yourself.
1: So then what is the next step if we've paused and we've gone deep and just feel it and we've shined a light on this very old feeling of abandonment or, or fear that we have of something that was maybe started most likely in our childhood. So we feel that, then what? Then we come back and report
2: our findings to our partner. And there are worksheets in the book (laughs) that help you first access the things I've just said, you know, step one, step two, and then fill in the blank.
1: You have great questions there about, okay, you know, exactly what to say, and you fill in your particular thing in it. But but that's very helpful because as we're learning something new— it's We need these guides, I think.
2: We, we need a new, simpler language mm-hmm. because we're all so mind-centered that we kind of love our stories about things and our explanations. So the um, repair scripts that we give people, yes, they sound artificial, but they, it's sort of like training wheels. Later on, you can improvise. <laughs> Once you totally get that just saying, I was afraid that I wasn't good enough for you, being able to say that to your partner. So that's the next step. You come and report to your partner, I was afraid I wasn't good enough for you. And I think our listeners can realize already how different that is than you're always criticizing me, the the usual language, and building a case against the other person. Exactly That vulnerable self-disclosure, and then uh, the next thing you do after you've shared the vulnerable fear, you ask for reassurance. And what I need more than anything is to feel accepted by you, that type of thing. Again, it sounds glib and superficial, but it forces you to say things in a succinct way, and there's a whole lot of pre-work that gets you to being able to say what I need is to feel accepted by you. So the depth of feeling comes through in a very few words. And that's what I think we all need to be aiming toward. Right? It's not endless explanations of why we did something. Those just get you farther down in the hole and get you more distant from each other. I
1: I know in the U.S. at least, (laughs) we're very good at psychologizing ourselves. I mean, we've got all, you know, from all the Oprah stuff and the Dr. Phil stuff and everything that we get. We're just bombarded with these in books and articles. So we're self-analysis all the time. We're very good at saying this is such and such. But you're you're talking about going, simplifying it and going down deep into a feeling body, which is body-centered rather than head-centered. Yes. So we're actually feeling something in the body, uh, aren't we? Yes. And and in, the, in that pause, I know that you suggest that we do some breathing and get in touch with our breath or get in touch with the chair we're sitting on. And, and these sort of things help us to kind of pull us out of our head trip.
2: That's right. Those are self-calming tools. So during the pause... We give these self calming tools that are a lot of them from breathing practices, from yoga, from meditation, from you know, ancient practices. And what we also teach is you're feeling those things as you're feeling the uh, body sensations of calming. But we also, during the worksheet process here, you're able to see what are those body sensations that signal that I'm triggered. Because that's another whole focus on body sensations that's important in this work is when My heart starts beating fast and I start finding myself clenching my fists or sweating or heat rises in my face. What are your, so we ask people, what are your early warning body sensation signals that your nervous system is in one of those fight, flight, freeze reactions? So
1: that's very good, Susan, because... This would be like we 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 start in one of these dialogues with our partner, we blame them for something or we're angry or we're oh, you did it again, and you're you're driving in the car and you'd start you know that litany between the two of you, whatever it is, and um you're saying if we can catch and start to feel those early signals we get from the body, like. Oh, I just got a knot in my stomach. And that's something we can say, oh, wait a minute. Wait, that's where we say wait a minute. Wait, maybe it's not about this, maybe it's something else. And that's what you're saying. That's
2: right. That's right. Once once you learn to pause and once you learn to go through some of these worksheets in the book where you look at the last time I got triggered, if I can remember, what were my stories? What were my feelings? And most basic, what were my body sensations?
1: Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, then you start a dialogue. But I want to before that dialogue, you have to have some sort of agreement with your partner, don't you? About uh, wait, let's pause. Let's uh, can we take a pause? You have to have some agreement that we're going to try not to go down this path that we've usually gone down for the last five years we've gone down, or the last 40 years we've gone down this path, we're going to try a new path. So, we, But you have to have an agreement with your partner about that, don't you?
2: Yes. Uh, John Gray and I, my co-author, we feel very, very strongly that the worst thing you can do after you're triggered is to keep talking. <laughs> and we have some convincing evidence in the book of why that is. Uh, so... We encourage couples to create a pause agreement sometime when they're not triggered. You know, we just sit mm-hmm. down and say, you know, we know that this happens and we don't want to keep going further into what John and I call the hole, you know, down mm-hmm. that path that leads nowhere. Right, right. So the word pause is a fine word or the timeout signal that they use mm-hmm. in sports. Couples find some very simple communication, of course, that, you know, if they're in each other's presence, you can use a nonverbal, but if you're on the phone, you might have to use right. a verbal. Right. So uh, the agreement is, can we agree that when either of us detects any sign that yourself or the other is triggered, you will call for a pause?
1: And we're going to pause for just one moment. I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, and she, along with her co-author, John Gray, are the authors of Five-Minute Relationship Repair. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, and she, along with Dr. John Gray, are the co-authors of 5-Minute Relationship Repair, Quickly Heal Upsets, Deepen Intimacy, and Use Differences to Strengthen Love. And if you want to know more about our work, you can go to our website, SusanCampbell.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. Susan, we're, we're talking, we've we've paused uh, in our our cycle of of habitual way we are with our partner and blame and and all of that and conflict. And and then we're now communicating with our partner. We've we've discussed that we've had we we have some pre-arranged signal that says, wait, I need a timeout. And we take that time. We allow each other to take the time. Either one can ask for it. And then we start to communicate what what our feelings are. And you talk about communication. Uh, staying on our own side of the net, I think, is one of the ways you describe it. What do you mean by staying on our own side of the net?
2: Staying on your own side of the net means speaking to your partner about your feelings, your needs, your observations, rather than telling them what their motives are, what they are thinking, that sort of thing. So you don't you don't say, I see you're angry at me. You might say, I see a look on your face and I'm getting afraid that you might be angry at me.
1: Oh, now that's... That's very good, but that takes some skill yes. because it's, it's really subtle when we are communicating that we're actually not on our side of the net. And can you give some examples of that just so we can get a more of a feel of what that is like when we stay sure. on our side?
2: Sure, sure. Well, like you can imagine if I say I see you're angry or something like that, that's apt to trigger your partner. A lot of people don't, especially if you're a little out of sync as a couple, if you're really in harmony, you can say, I see you're angry, and it won't do any damage, perhaps. But sometimes just jumping over to the other person, telling them what they're thinking or feeling, even you could be in harmony, and that can trigger your partner, just because so many of us don't like that. Plus, I'm not being as authentic and revealing and giving you the information you need, either. Like saying... You know, when I see that look on your face, I'm afraid. That's information that I need in order to say what I really need to say now, which maybe is the need for reassurance, for example. So other examples might be you hear your partner um, slam the door and you you know, you yell out, Are you, you know, are are, are are you kicking the dog again type of right. thing? Yeah. I mean, some yeah. insulting yeah. thing cause, right. because you're scared yeah. once again. Yeah. So the practice of staying on your own side of the net, in a sense, forces you to look inward for the source of your distress rather than blaming your partner for your distress.
1: All right, let me give you another example. Uh, this is uh, kind of coming out of my life of 41 years with Michael. And I know one of the things that I would do is I would say to him, "Well, he, he, you're doing it again." Here's you, you do this all the time, mm-hmm. and he would say back to me, w- "What?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: W- what? It, what am I doing all the time? Give me an example." Mm-hmm. And in the so I'm referring to something, some field of upset that I have, that he's triggered, that I'm remembering, and I don't have an example. And I had to learn to to say, okay, when you said this, then, and I, I did it pretty well, mm-hmm. it's, this caused this, but what, what we kind of butted up against was it seemed so trivial to him. Well, once you... Name
2: what the specific was. It'll sound trivial even to yourself <laughs> sometimes. Uh, that's one of the reasons we don't like to get into specifics is because it'll sound so so trivial, like slamming the door, like so what? Right. Uh, but slamming the door reminds me of all the times my father came home drunk or something like that, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, and so what it's really about is Seeing if you can discover by being specific, first of all, that it's probably not the actual event, but it's the story that you made up about the event. Even though they're recurring events with Michael, there was some recurring fear that was getting triggered in you. It may have been uh, rooted in some early faulty learning, let's say, of where something wasn't safe for you in your, in your childhood. And so staying on your own side of the net forces you to put your attention where you need to. And even if it sounds trivial, it's like we get that. A lot of our feelings aren't that, you know, aren't, aren't based on that much, really. These right. triggers are trivial. Why, do, why does our ego need for it to be really important and significant for justify me being angry? See right. that's the mind yeah. again. The yeah. ego mind wants to be right, wants to seem like you know. If I'm mad, it's got to be something big, and it's a little bit like meditation again, where if you have to say specifically what just happened, and I and I understand that similar things had happened over the forty-one years, right. you know, yeah. and that there were many yeah. many yeah. specifics, maybe yeah. right. even yeah. once yeah. a week, you know, <laughs> yeah. or more. Uh, but there's still each specific seems. Trivial, in a yes, sense, it does, and so that's in a way to me that's not a disadvantage. You don't lose points with your partner, you know, like yeah. like your partner will say, "Well, that's trivial." Uh, you actually get more aware yourself that I wouldn't call it trivial necessarily, but that that one event, even if it happens every week, does not exactly warrant the fear reaction that there must be something more that that yes. fear reaction is based on and this is not to make you wrong no. at all for having the fear reaction it's to make you truly curious to heal that to
1: discover what what pain needs light shined on it yeah and, and those are two great words to be curious to discover And I I can see that's not where I went. I still was talking on a surface level to correct something, but not going inside and shining that light on my core fear. Mm -hmm. So I can see that that would have been really beneficial in our relationship. Uh, so it, it, it's it's this is very helpful so that I I won't perpetuate it in as I go on with my life now that that Michael has passed on so I can't really repair it with him right now but but I can see that this this is a, a good thing um, so when when we're we're feeling this there's another uh, couple of words that I found in your book that really popped out at me susan and those were the words earned security do you recall using those words yeah. can you say something about earned security
2: well this comes from attachment theory this this term and people when they're little this doesn't have much to do with an adult relationship actually but when when you're little you feel secure when your environment is pretty responsive to your needs. Mm -hmm. And so that's really basically what that refers to.
1: But we need that in our present relationships too. Yes. We need to feel secure. Yes. And and that just reminds me, like, um, it seems to me that women, for the most part, uh, we know that, that, that little girls use a lot more words as they're growing up than little boys. And so uh, it seems to me that women have a tendency to be more verbal. And so when, when a, a, a guy is trying to then do what we're talking about, go in, feel the feelings, he, he may not be as articulate And there's a danger there. It seems to me for the woman to come, oh, to try and pull out of him. Oh, come on, tell me how you're feeling, and uh, you know, and that can can, can get kind of oppressive. Yes. Do you do you know
2: what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Well, when you begin to know one another's triggers by doing this repair. Uh, process, and you know what their core fears are, like like the, let's say your partner is afraid he's not good enough, and maybe he's the kind of guy that has to think deeply about something for a while before he can articulate, based partly on that fear that I'll do it wrong. You develop empathy for your partner's, let's say, limitations or gaps in their early learning, and you, you want to like nurture them rather than criticize them, you know, come out with it, come out with it. It's like you are now in the uh, realm of we're in this together. You know my core insecurities and the deficits that come out of that, the communication deficits, like I over-talk and explain myself because I'm so afraid of disconnection that I feel more connected when I'm talking, so I keep on talking, you know, that energy. And you, you know, the quieter or less verbal Husband develops empathy for that and learns to reassure me when I'm over talking. And I likewise, I develop empathy for how hard it is for him to access feelings on the spot that he may need a little time and he may need my patience. And it's true empathy. It's not just adapting because, you know, because you're a codependent or something like that. You really feel, when you do these deep repair processes together, you really feel, I want, I want to give him the time he needs to articulate whatever he's feeling. And I don't want to jump on him right away because that's what his mother did. He's afraid of being criticized. That's another one of his core fears. And you know, it's not that I don't want to express my uh, upset or my frustration, yes, but criticism is one of those reactive behaviors that isn't necessary because there's always a better way to speak that.
1: Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. saying
2: stuff your criticism. I'm saying find the truth underneath your criticism, which is usually your own
1: vulnerable feeling and need. And you know, Susan, what you're talking about, It doesn't necessarily mean like when you say, okay, let's take a time out and then we'll come back and communicate that it's a long process, and and pretty soon your partner is saying, oh, gosh, here we go. Now we're going to be in it for the next three hours or whatever. That's not the point of it, is it?
2: That's exactly right. (laughs) We got it down to five minutes or less. (laughs) That's why we call the book Five-Minute Relationship Repair to really emphasize the fact that a few simple sentences based on deep self-awareness and empathy do the job. You don't have a, a life of endless processing
1: once you know these tools. So that then we're not so afraid to take that time to do it because we know it's going to be like a, a shorter time, not not filling up hours of our our time and and we'll get we'll get better at it with practice, right? That's right. And yeah.
2: you do you don't think you're going to just read the book and you've got it. It's like yoga. You know,
1: if you yeah. read a book on yoga and don't practice it, you don't have it. So, it's like that. I'm here with Dr. Susan Campbell, she along with Dr. John Gray are the co-authors of 5-Minute Relationship Repair: Quickly Heal Upsets, Deepen Intimacy, and Use Differences to Strengthen Love. here with Susan Campbell and she is the co-author with Dr. John Gray of the 5-minute relationship repair book and Susan this process this this relationship repair and these these techniques or processes to to take a moment and do some of these are very effective but they may not be effective in all cases. I just want to be really clear about that because sometimes there is not a repair in certain situations. Can you describe those situations where this may not work, just sure. so we're clear on that?
2: Sure. Uh, let's say you've got uh, active addictions going on. That would be the most obvious. Of uh, Like if either of you are inebriated, you don't want to do this, and if— Either of you have a habit of dealing with feelings by stuffing them in some addictive way, which even could be shopping at, a, at an extreme. I don't mean all shoppers are addicts. <laughs> so that's one where you, you you. frankly, when there's a serious addiction going on, I have found in my practice with people, you cannot reason with somebody about their addiction.
1: Or what about if someone's feeling their basic f- Threatened, um, their roof over their head is is threatened. Like they're going to lose their house uh, because of the the way that that their partner is handling money or something, and that that deep deep uh, security issue might be, or or where there's um, physical. Uh, pain where there is somebody's abusive physically or even uh, heavily abusive uh, verbally.
2: Well, the abusive instances are a little different than the, the let's say, the house is getting foreclosed on yes. issue. So yes. uh, the abusive things, are they're a little bit the same as addictions yes. that I mentioned. But let me, I want to, I think the interesting one is one that might seem like, we just need a behavior change here. We just need my partner to pay the bills on time or to get a job, okay? Mm-hmm. That kind of a thing, it might seem. Why bother with all this repair stuff? You know, People have actually said to me about this material, I believe in action, not words. This is just mm-hmm. words. Right. My response to that is this process builds the trust that maybe wasn't there before between two people, takes the blaming out of it so that they really can connect and be on the same team. And when you are more on the same team, you will problem-solve your financial issues, or whether we want to have a baby or not, all those mm-hmm. you know conflicts, normal daily conflicts. You'll solve those in a much better way. They, At least they, give it a chance, I they, would say. They,
1: they seem really big, but, but you're saying just stick with the process and there will be some positive results if you really stick with the process. In most cases. Yes. It's
2: like if two people build their capacity to really hear each other and, and be a team, because this is mm-hmm. what this is all about, is like yes. we're in this together and I can see how... You know, we're both triggered. It's not like there's no blame involved. It's like this relationship is like a boat. And let's not argue about whose side of the boat the hole is on. There's a hole in the boat. We got to both start bailing. So it's a cooperative ability, the creative problem-solving ability that gets liberated when you're more whole you know, you've yes. shined light on some of your dark parts. You're a more right. whole human being. You got more more of your marbles, and your relationship is more whole and integrated. You're you're a power you're a powerful force as a couple when you're aligned.
1: There's something that you mention in the book, um, possibly um, having a couple writing out a vision statement mm-hmm. for their relationship. So, what does that entail?
2: Well, we hope that the vision statement has something to do with using, in the future, some of the processes in, these, in this book. But it, it could be things like how we want to behave toward each other in order to have that feeling of really trusting each other, loving each other. So we might say, gee, until we read this book, we never hugged when we first came together after the end of being away all day. Now we're hugging. We want to have a general practice of, of hugging. We want to have a general practice of clearing the air. These would be things we would hope once people learn the tools in this book. These are all in there. So we want to regularly say, Honey, is there anything I've done that uh, has created distance between us? I just want to hear it, that type of thing. That's a clearing the air process. So
1: that's that's interesting, like... Uh maybe over dinner if you're sitting down for dinner saying is there anything that you feel you need to clear with me that might have happened today and th- that's interesting you know i mean because you you point out in in the the book and in your work is that it's important to kind of catch these little things that they they matter
2: yes we believe in practices that call a couple's attention to things that matter but maybe they were just too busy to deal with like boy when you walked out while i was talking at dinner i felt hurt i just want to share that and no just let you know that and maybe my partner will say he's sorry or something like that and then that clears it but these little things that we think, well, that shouldn't bother me. I shouldn't mention that, or we're just too busy. It's maybe not a shouldn't at all. Uh, they do create distance. They build. They build up, like you know, like sweeping something under the carpet. You know, yes, it's yes. pretty soon the carpet is hard to walk on. So it's that it's that type of thing. I think we all know that, yeah. that things build up, but we're just kind of we forget. So we're busy. forgetful, and so yeah. that's why we need practices. So this. This book is hoping that part of your vision statement will be, uh, we have a clearing practice, we have a repair practice, we have a pause agreement, we know how to pause, we know how to calm ourselves, we know how to come back and talk from our own side of the net. You know, all the things you and I have been talking about, that's what we're encouraging people to put in their vision statement, along with... We want to have a secure, happy relationship where we have lots of fun and we have, you know, dates together and oh, we have great sex and or we communicate about what we need about sex. You know, all, all
1: of these all kinds of, that, of things. All of that. One of the things that I can think of that was a need for me, and maybe I didn't articulate it so well in my relationship, uh, but it was really important. Whenever it happened, it would just shock me. And it was when my partner would actually look at me. Mm-hmm. That was really important to me. And I learned that through through time, that that whenever that happened, I felt so good. So I go so you were gonna say You something? know,
2: these things, eye contact, that along with soothing voice tones, reassuring words loving touch like hugs or just even a pat, those are the things that help babies grow up healthy and secure. It's what makes your nervous system strong. And it's the same thing that couples in an adult relationship need to feel secure with each other, to feel close, and to actually rewire your brain for more secure functioning You know, even if you're in your 70s like I am, I'm still doing it with my partner. We're we're
1: using these tools every day. And and I'm, I'm thinking you talk about touch. You know, I remember that if I just touched Michael, just touched his shoulder, his whole physiology changed. He just calmed down. He just became. He just melted. And and so we cannot. De-emphasize that That's too right. much. That's I mean, right. it's really, really. important. Yeah. Even I mean, we're talking about sexuality, but there is another kind of being together. You're talking about, yeah. say, putting our relationship uh, uh, vision statement uh, that we hug every morning and we hug every night, or or when you walk in the door, we 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 actually do some sort of little touch, and it doesn't have to be intricate.
2: And if you see your partner's triggered, if you see some sign that your partner may be triggered and and you're clear enough to do this, you might say, honey, you look like you need a hug right now. Mm -hmm. And offer just that reassuring touch or just caring enough to say that sometimes will just soothe that reactive nervous system. Like you were saying, just a touch on Michael's shoulder, something that you over time learn what soothes this person and helps them feel secure. Mm -hmm. but. This is a way to prevent triggering episodes. Is what I'm trying to yeah, say now. Yeah. Is just catch it before it goes any further. Yeah. By it, by giving those we call them co-regulatory behaviors, <laughs> you co-regulate each other. We're in what John and I like to say is in a marriage, you're in the activation management business. <laughs> you're trying to manage your own and your partner's nervous system activation so that you can really you know, stay clear and present.
1: Do you think that that it might help to have, when you do a pause and you actually say, okay, we're going to do some repair here, um, that there might be a place, let's say, if you're in in your home, a little place that you go to when you come back together to communicate. Do you think it's kind of nice to have a little sacred space there? I
2: do. I, I recommend that you have a place that's kind of, set aside, and maybe you even light a candle or sanctify the space in some way so that when you enter that space together to do your repair, you have a mindset that's a we mindset. You know, we're going to get through this, that type of thing.
1: And, and 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 it builds up a little bit of energy, that place, you mm-hmm. know. you uh, After a while, your body goes, oh, I know this place. I know what we're going to do here. That's and, right. You know, it's not an intellectual thing, but as you say, you might have a candle there, or maybe some pictures of Mm -hmm. you and and your partner there that are really sweet pictures. And and it might help. All of these things help, don't they?
2: Yeah, I like your idea of (laughs) pictures. I hadn't thought of
1: that. (laughs) I want to thank you so much for being with us, Susan. Thank you, Justine. I've enjoyed being
2: with you and talking about this important subject.
1: Yeah, me too. I've been speaking with Dr. Susan Campbell, and she, along with Dr. John Gray, are the co-authors of Five-Minute Relationship Repair, Quickly Heal Upsets, Deepen Intimacy, and Use Differences to Strengthen Love. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, SusanCampbell.com or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine willis toms You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3534.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine willis toms Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge